Coming off a rough round, she was not expecting what was about to happen. She's on the first tee and has a lot of nerves and is super jittery because the day prior she played one of the worst rounds she's played in years. So she's really fearful of what's about to happen, really unsure. So she musters up the courage, she goes through her process and just blasts one down the middle of the fairway and this sigh of relief just comes over her because she was not sure what to expect the day before she was in trouble all day off the tee. So she puts her club back in her bag, lets out a deep breath, a sigh, shoulders go down, and she takes off on her way to her ball. Standing in the fairway, she's, you know, same thing, still kind of unsure of what's about to go on. She goes through her practice swings. She walks in, sets the face, eyes go to the target, eyes come back, and she swings. Crack. This ball takes off. It looks good. She's still feeling kind of nerves and jittery in her, in her arms, but she looks to see the ball get super close and the girls in her group are you know applauding her like great shot great start and she puts it to a tap in range and gets off with a, fir- a birdie on the first hole so she's cruising second hole is a par five same thing she walks in kind of stares down the target eyes come back and she just spanks another drive onward sitting in the fairway now she has a three wood feeling a little more confident and just takes a huge swing at this thing and just smokes it all the way up next to the green where it leaves her a little chip where she could just chip up close and birdie so now she's two under after two holes and is just cruising so every hole she has a look of more confidence and a little more pep in her step and she's not even totally aware of what's going on but she has this feeling like she can do no wrong and the girls in her group are admiring she looks confident she looks graceful And everyone's really admiring what's happening and how she's playing. She's really having the round of her life. She's confident. She's poised. And it's just great shot after great shot. Even when she misses, she hits this miraculous chip shot close. And she starts kind of thinking as she gets closer in the back nine, like, you know, how is this happening? What's going on? What is different from the day before? But from the lens of other spectators she was like a machine out there you know everything was repetitive everything looked confident and she was sticking to this process that helped her play at a level that was just almost benounced to her and she didn't understand it because she just was more afraid of what was going on so she just stuck to what she knew and what she practiced so in this we're going to go over exactly what a great process is and what you need to do to get in that zone every time That's coming up right now. Welcome to the Go Low Show, where it's about golf, grit, and your pursuit of greatness. My name is Kyle Alderink, and I am your co-host, along with my man, John Weir, mental game coach extraordinaire. And in this podcast, we're going to show you everything that you need to know about how to go low in your golf game. And we're excited to bring you that show right now. Expect anything different? Is it his time? Yes! In your life have you seen anything like that? Well, here it comes. Alright, it's time to go. 
So, John, one of the biggest questions that golfers tend to have, especially competitive players, is what is a good shot process? Like, what does it entail? What are the steps? What is most necessary is really what everybody wants to know. So let's really dive into what that is all about and your take on that. The shot process is the most important process or important habit in the game of golf, I believe, because it is the thing that is consistent in performance. It's the one thing that we can always hold ourselves accountable to and keep ourselves in control of, right? I can't always guarantee what the ball is going to do even off the face. Even hitting a good swing, having a good swing doesn't guarantee a good result. I mean, we have so many fluky stories being out in tournaments where the ball does a certain thing when it hits, but our process and everything was really good. So we can't put the consistency in the golf swing, but the consistency really comes from how we're mentally and physically preparing for each shot. And so when people say that they like to hold themselves to a really high standard and that's why they get upset or throw outbursts that they don't score well, I say, well, you're holding yourself to the wrong standard. The real standard that needs to be set to is you demanding the best of yourself on every step of this routine. And if you hold that to a really high level, you're going to end up having a really good performance and your results are going to be really good at the end. The other real benefits and why it's such an important thing is it restricts the types of thinking that you're permitting yourself to have, right? So the best performers in the world in any sport to be world-class they're only bringing as much as absolutely necessary to the performance. So they're not thinking all these unnecessary things. I, I think back to this marksman who can hit like eight shots in like four seconds. He's like the world's fastest draw man, right? And set all these world records. Bro, it's, it's incredible. And what he says, look, if I have to bring my gun up and tilt my head like this to aim, I've already lost all this time. And that's an unnecessary action. He goes, that's clutter. What he goes is you bring it straight up so that when I bring up my gun, it's already in line with my aim. And so he says you have to bring the bare minimum necessary for great performance. And that's what a good shot process does. It strips out all the clutter, all the things that are unnecessary, and it helps to target the way we're thinking and preparing so we can have consistency and repeatability in our performance. And so I'd encourage everybody, if you don't have a good routine right now, and I, or a good shot process in place. It's something you got to bring into the table and something you got to work and you're going to see such performance gains. Well, I noticed that, you know, you and I both use the word process and we both agree that we dislike the word routine because routine, uh, like you said, just kind of implies like laziness. It's just a, I mean, a repetitive action, which is kind of what we're going for, but, but it's, it's a lazy repetitive action, right? Where the process is about, how you're making your decisions. It's about really an important factor is how you're controlling your thoughts. And that's, you know, my big point on a process is it's really not only just the physical. So a lot of people look at, you know, if they call a routine or whatever, um, about just, I do this many practice swings and I step in this way and where that has its point, you know, if you do two practice swings and that second one's kind of bogus and doesn't instill confidence, it's not the worst thing to do a third. You don't have to jump in there. So there's, there's wiggle room there, but it's really about the thoughts. So again, going back to that 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day, you know, you can do the same physical thing over and over, but your mind can be running rampant and have total different thoughts on everything you do. And that's really the big thing. So having this process where you know exactly what you're thinking 
over every shot is, and then knowing the solutions, if I don't execute that shot, this is what I need to do better on the next one is kind of almost like cheating. It's like knowing the answers to a test because everything out there is a problem and you have the solution because this is what I do and how I do it. Where again, most people are so afraid of making mistakes because they don't do this stuff in their practice. So they don't really know what to do. And it's almost like questioning. It's like, you know, somebody gives you the answers to a test and you go in there and you're kind of like, well, what if they gave me the wrong answers? You know, so you're not really committing and you're second guessing everything you do. And that's kind of what happens when we don't really know how to think and we can't commit to anything, especially when we don't practice it. And then it's just kind of chaos out there. So I think in order to do that, Kyle, you really got to kind of establish a really good structure because I'm in a full 100% agreement with you. A lot of players think that it's just these physical steps when the pros are talking about their shot process or their routine, and that's part of it. We have to have those things in place and know the physical structure, and we also have to create a mental structure. So one of the easiest ways, I think, to remember the proper structure of a full shot routine is to think of a, a reverse traffic light. And you have three distinct zones. You have a red zone, that's at the bag where you're making your decisions. A yellow zone, which is preparation about four to six feet behind the ball, which I also believe is important that it's behind the ball. And then your green zone, which is at the address position. I also include another part of it because it's not just a pre-shot routine. A shot process encompasses the full thing. So we obviously also have a finish line. It's the fourth zone of the routine or the process. If you don't have a finish line, it can, we don't sometimes have mental conclusion to the shot and we can drag it on. It can lead to all number of things. But first off, let's just look at this basic structure. Red, yellow, green, finish. What we want to do is we want to look at that red zone. That's about decision making. Let's define or get with your coach. Define what it means to make a good decision. What does that process look like for you? So after a bad shot, we can immediately look back to our process and say, well, how was my decision in the red zone? Did I actually stop and gather the right information, make a full decision before I went into a practice swing? Or did I just laser, grab a club, and and kind of go? That to me is kind of like running a red light. If you do that, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Then there's yellow. There's going to be a way of preparing. But again, mentally, we got to get in there. It's not just a practice swing. What I like to call it as a feelization swing. We want to be making this swing real in our mind. We're linking up a mental picture that we determine in our red zone to the actual feeling in our body. So we're holding that picture in mind, that nice draw working off five yards right into the towards the flag. And now I'm linking it with what I want to feel in my body. So we have a deliberate practice swing. And then we're going to talk about here coming up in the in shortly some keys in the green zone. But right off the bat, green means go. So we also want to have a nice decisive process of getting up, getting set, and going. And again, mentally, each one of these zones carries with it its own thinking. So again, if we're having stuff outside of that, that's clutter. And these are some of the ways we can key in on where the performance is breaking down in the actual swing. It's stemming from these areas in the process. Well, for sure. And, you know, again, that that last zone, too, we can't sleep on, you know, how we react to shots. And that's one I don't think a lot of people put stock on. You know, I hear it sometimes a post shot routine and things like that. But this is where you're really and this kind of almost goes back to self-image, too, because this is where you're either putting in good things in your in your mental imagery or bad. You know, I, I hit that really bad. 
or, you know, if I do this on the next one, it could be better. And just, um, you know, one, I, I learned from, um, Dr. Joe parent who I, I did golf school with and, uh, you know, he called it erase and replace. And I love that. I use that a lot. He's like, just erase that swing, replace it with a good one and move on. Um, again, that stuff's just important is how we tend to react because a lot of players do overreact. Emotions can boil over. And, you know, when we start to get emotional, we start to make pretty poor decisions, <laughs> as you know. Right. So when, you know, we let those tempers and stuff go, we react so poorly to shots. Not only are we imprinting some pretty bad stuff into our self-image, but we're also um, more likely to let those emotions affect what's going on in the body and end up making a really poor decision on the next one. I call it going on tilt, you know, kind of like poker players, you know, when they lose a poor hand or something and they try to bet everything they can on the next one to get it back and they start making really irrational decisions and to the point where they're just cashed out. And golfers do that same thing. If we don't watch how we react to shots, you know, we start trying to make irrational decisions, trying to make up for it, do stuff that's out of our comfort zone. And next thing you know, we get to that point where every golfer knows what I'm talking about, where we're kind of like, you know what, just F this. And then we kind of almost like mentally give up and then we start playing normal again. But it's like you almost get to the point where you just mentally explode and then we just go back to our norm, but usually not before the damage is done. Sure, yeah, and, and going back to an earlier episode, the best thing you can do for that minute after your shot, especially if it's a bad one, take control of your body language. Even if you're frustrated, even if you're feeling emotional, take control of your body language because you're hacking your brain and you're going to be preventing these cortisol releases from, from continuing. And also carry that body language with you to your next shot because we're shifting. Those changes will be in place by the time you get there. We have that four to five minute period. And so it's a wonderful way of being able to make a change too, post-shot wise. One thing I do too with my guy is on, when we're on the course is I'll say, carry the club until you're ready to let it go. You know, once you're ready to let it go, give it back. But I want you to hold on to that club as long as you want to hold on to that shot. And it only takes a couple seconds where he's like, hey, okay, dude, I'm ready. And he hands me the club. I said, good, now we're going forward. We're bringing the conclusion. But I want to touch on one last thing in this breakdown, and it's an overlooked thing in the routine, too, besides post-shot. It's the timing in your green zone. And timing over the ball is actually a big determiner, influencer of performance. And, and many people, it's not even on the radar. Uh, at the Bender Academy, Mike wrote a great book on this right. called The Eight-Second Secret. And uh, what they found was a correlation between 18 of the 19 multiple major winners. They had a coordination that in their green zone, they were getting from set to a finish in eight seconds. And so they noticed that they all have this very efficient process in their green zone of getting in, setting up, and ripping it. Because at this point in your routine, what more could you be standing over the ball thinking about that's going to benefit you in any way? You should have already made a really good decision, visualized your shot, and thought it through in the red zone. You prepared and linked it up with the feel in your yellow zone. Now it's a matter of get set, get get to your target and go. So the European tour, there is a doctor, I believe his name is Dr. Matt Bridges. He did a timing study and it was over a course of 20 some thousand shots. And there was about 40 different European tour players, I believe, involved in the study. And what they found was your consistency of your timing determined results. Those who had more consistent timing in the first two rounds had made 50% more cuts in, in their routine. 
which is huge. They made 180,000 euros more in the length of their season. And I forget of all the other benefits. The correlation they found wasn't what Mike did was that there was a magic number. But they noticed that if your timing was consistent, there was a correlation between your good shots being just slightly faster than your normal. And your bad shots on, on the course were slightly longer than your average. And so there's a benefit of being able to get in and get set. So a great secret is set a shot clock. And in the training segment, I'll show you some ways on how you can make that eight seconds feel really slow, give you all enough time. And here we're going to be able to perform in a lot more consistent way. But the end result of the, that research project was is they were giving timing a strokes gained of one shot per tournament. And over a course of a season, that is a tremendous gain. So timing in the green zone, highly important, and get in and get going. Yeah, that's interesting. And just to clarify that too, that's from when the blade of the club like sets behind the ball to when it's in motion. So there's two different ways people have tracked this, okay? There's one that's called a walk-to-strike number. And the walk-to-strike number would be from where I would call the commitment line. That's like after you've done your rehearsal and you're behind the ball and you're getting ready to go address the ball. The moment you take that first step into finishing your swing or the strike of the sound of the impact would be one measure. So it's like a walk to strike. What Mike's research done was specifically when the club had set behind the ball to the finish of the swing. So whether you looked at it that way or the other, they matched up. I think Tiger's walk to strike number was, I think, 13 and a half seconds. And he was always eight seconds over the ball. And it was like clockwork. So you could do it either way. Oftentimes, if you're a parent and you're watching your player compete and you're trying to keep tracking of them, the walk to strike number is the easiest to record for consistency. Gotcha. Um, and real quick before we get into our training segment, I actually have a YouTube video up of I put um, probably five or six of Tiger's biggest putting moments uh, that I could find and put a timer on it. And every single time it was literally the same. Like, I mean, and I take it through like on the actual video with a timer and you can see like in huge moments and like all these winning putts and things, it was the exact same. So you can see that, um, that video as well and, and see that timing how that. And, and what would be cool is you could look at his normal shots and it would match up the same way too. Right. For sure. All right. So with all that being said, John, let's let's get into some training, um, the training segment here and let the listeners know what they can do with timing and uh, some of the other key points here. OK, I think timing, again, is such a huge thing. So first thing you got to do is you got to go in and get your base timing. So you either have to pick one of those two measures for us that we had mentioned, either a walk to strike or when you set your club head behind the ball to a finish position. So first, get a reading on where you're at. Go in, have somebody have the timer on and the stopwatch, you know, set it up and, and do 10 swings and record to just kind of get a measure. See how consistent you actually are. You'd be surprised a lot of times when people first get into it, they're over the ball for 10, 20, even 30 seconds at times. And again, what could be processing during this time, right, that's going to aid to performance can only hinder it. So once we get our base time, our target goal always at the academy was eight seconds. Set that club and let's get to the finish. For a lot of people, that will feel like a pretty quick period of time at first. It's actually a relatively long period of time when you know what you're doing and you get used to the process. 
So the way that I've always trained it to make it better was we made it twice as fast. <laughs> so we would make the player stand at the walk to strike line. And as soon as they took the first step, I would start the timer and they had four seconds to step in and get to a finish. And we would do it at this ultra fast pace. So they'd stand in there. They had to get set. They had to think of every single little thing that they needed to do to get a good shot. And we weren't just hitting it and taking a slice. We were going to hit it and try to get it into our performance zone, right? And into our target zone. So they'd step in. I'd fire it on. I'd say two. And they'd have to get set, rip it. And I'd do this with them maybe, you know, 10 to 15 times. Then I'd say, okay, I want you just to go in and do it at your normal pace. And this time when you set in, you have the full eight seconds. Now they get in there and they're taking their time and they feel like they're going a really slow time and they're executing in five or six seconds feeling like patient and feeling like they're in a nice, comfortable place, not even rushed. So the best way to train your timing is get your timing where you're at baseline, know eight your target goal, then cut the time in half. Get up there and execute in four seconds, four seconds, four seconds, four seconds, and now extend it to eight. And you're going to be aware that you have so much more time than over the ball than you ever thought. And eight is a great amount of time and plenty that you need to execute a great golf shot. So speed up, exaggerate, and then bring it back down to your baseline. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really good points. And the timing is a huge one for sure because that can get really inconsistent. And, you know, an interesting thing is, too, is when you're playing – like players will typically do one or the other when they're stressed out. They'll either get really fast or they'll get really slow. Now, in my experience, the majority, I would say, get too fast. Like they rush through shots, especially uh, putts. You know, it's like we're almost trying to get it over with. And so they get up there, their looks get really fast, and then boom, the ball is moving. So they never really compose themselves. Um, so the timing and knowing that is such a huge thing. And, and that's all part of, again, defining your process, which we talk about all the time if you're listening to the show. Now, that's a big one, right? Is we always want to define, you know, this is how I practice swing. This is how I walk in. This is where I walk in from. Like how many steps does it take me to get in there? I mean, the more detailed we can be with this, the more you're going to be able to commit to it, build it and practice. And then just knowing that timing Having that uh, shot clock on you, I think, is such a cool exercise and part of, you know, how we can practice this. Um, you know, because lastly, too, is especially on some of the thought side of this thing is that, you know, our thoughts can get inconsistent, which can make the timing inconsistent. So really saying your process out loud is a huge practice and training segment, like literally just, you know, step, 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 set the face set my feet, eyes look at the target, eyes look back, and then pull the trigger. And then you're going to talk about uh, some triggers, I know, but just having that, just define and saying that when you're going to find, because we can only consciously think of that one thing at a time, you're going to find that when you do that, you're not really thinking about anything else. You're just really committing to that. So that's a really good practice thing you can do is just literally say your process out loud and time it. I love that. Yeah, and, and to your point of defining it, if you don't define it, you don't know what clutter is and you don't know what your mental interference is. So essentially, as you're defining the steps of your process and you're defining how you're mentally approaching each one of those zones, that's a limiting of your thinking to a certain way. Anything outside of that, you could chalk it up as interference and clutter, something that needs to be weeded out of the routine. 
And so it's a great way of elevating and seeing where your interference is and what type of clutter naturally comes in too. But I'll tell you, the spot where the clutter comes in over the ball is is detrimental for so many people. And a lot of people don't have a go trigger like the shot clock, right? They don't realize they need to get in there, get set up, and rip it. So now that you have that in your awareness, what else do we need in there? We, we need a trigger to go. And the best one is, and, and this is a, a secret of really high-level performers, is using your breathing as your go, go trigger, and it is your timer. So one of the easiest ways to keep your timing consistent on the course is using your breathing and establishing that breathing routine in the green zone. I think it's one of the most valuable things you could do over them. So what we're going to do is a couple of things we want to know about our breathing. What, when we set our ball, we get into our setup position, we're going to engage the target. I want people to take a deep breath in. You're going to take it in through your nose, expand your diaphragm, and hold it as you look at the target. And then we're going to do a full exhale. And as you exhale, you want to feel your body, the sensations going down now to the ball. So we're going to step in, breathe in. Full exhale to the ball. And when that breath is finished, if you had the focus band on your head, when you do a long controlled exhale like that and you exhaust the air out of your lungs, the focus band goes green. And what that's indicating is that your mind is in the sweet spot for performance. So by using your breathing, it occupies your conscious mind. It keeps the timing going. And with that full breath, it puts your mind in a performance window. That's your go sign. So once that breath's finished, pause for make a, a, like a half second and then initiate your swing. If you finish your breath and you can't pull the trigger, it indicates you got to get out because you're not prepared either from your red zone or your yellow zone whether in your decision-making or your prep for the shot, to be ready to go. So that's one of the best ways that you can do mentally to clear up mind space, create relaxation in the body, and keep consistent timing is establishing a good breath routine at the green zone. So, John, I always get a kick out of, um, you know, I just, I watch diligently, like I'm a director of instruction at a country club, and, you know, I see a lot of the amateur and average golfers especially practice and I just watch you know I've always watched as I've developed my practice system and, and such and you know especially I'll just start on the putting green like it's amazing I see everybody throw balls down like three balls down and then they putt and miss putt and miss putt and miss and then they like that's how they practice or they'll just set up a station and just kind of randomly hit putts but you know I never really see the player that actually takes the time to go through this and work on this stuff and do it with variability when they practice. Like I just don't see it. And I even had a player one time tell me as I was being like diligent on her that you need to be doing this constantly. And she said, well, that's really tedious to be always doing my routine on a, on a four foot putt. And I just said, well, you just don't want to be good then. I mean, that's what you're telling me, (laughs) you know, it's because, you know, it's, it's just amazes me though, that players think it's tedious to do in practice yet when the moment gets bigger, they decide they need to do that when they play. Like I have a hard time rationalizing that and it just never really made sense to me, but it may be tedious and it may be the stuff you don't want to do. But those are the things that if you're going to play better on the course, you got to do the stuff that you do on the course. Like if you're, I mean, honestly, most, most players that just randomly practice and scrape balls over and hit them would probably be better off not even having a routine. But I mean, just cause they never practice it is my point, but we know the value of a good routine. 
or process. But um, my point is, is again, like you got to do the stuff that's not always comfortable. But after a while, like I can't, if I'm practicing, I can't even hit a shot without doing what I normally do because it just doesn't make sense. It just feels like a waste. So at that point, I feel like I'm just exercising. And I mean, that's kind of the thing is you got to condition yourself and get into that habit of going through that and controlling your thoughts, controlling what you're doing and really building your process on a daily basis. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, if you look at guys like Jason Day, they have uh, seen people watch him practice. Eighty percent of his shots are done with a full shot process. And that is tee to green, whether he's on the practice green or, or doing a full swing. Going back to something I mentioned in an earlier episode. When you work through the full process, you're making a clear decision. You're choosing a motor program, something to execute in your golf swing or putting stroke. You're going and executing that and then getting feedback. It's what learning theorists call the conceptual model. The more you go through those phases, the more your brain learns and assimilates and takes in information. It retains it more. So it does seem tedious, but what's more tedious is going and spending hours and hours and hours and hours practicing golf and sometimes getting worse, Mm. right? And that's what a lot of players are doing. This isn't a tedious thing. You're actually working through the full learning model. So by doing that more deliberately like that, you're going to get more gains with less repetitions. You're going to learn and grow quicker. And most importantly, you're going to transfer more of your work over to the course where it really matters, right? So Working that full shot routine and actually being disciplined to do it is a very important thing. The last thing I really want to bring up for the whole day is, and it kind of goes back to your point, if you're not practicing this, you're never going to step up and have it when the moment requires. Mm -hmm. There's a great quote I heard from a Green Beret, and it talks about their training methods. And he says, nobody ever rises to the occasion. You only fall back to your training. Right. So how did a guy like Jason Day work his way all the way up to world number one? Because he fell back to his training. How was his training? Doing these disciplined, deliberate things all the time. Doing the full shot process. Doing it on the putting green. Working his visualization strategies. Doing these things consistently. Then when his moment came, he didn't step up. He was ready for that moment. And he fell right back to his level of training, which was winning that game all the time when nobody is looking. You know, my dad had a quote for me growing up as an athlete, champions are made when no one's around. Mm -hmm. It's the things that you do when no one's watching. It's the things that you're doing behind the scenes that enable you to shine when the lights come on. And so remember, you never step up, fall back to your training. So make sure that your full shot routine is a part of your training and make sure we're doing it deliberately and disciplined week in and week out or in every practice. Yeah, I mean, the Jason Day one is interesting because, you know, with his process, he gets back there and has that whole eyes closed thing, you know, and he's kind of what, the one that put the focus band on the map. But, you know, he would be back there until he could visualize a shot. But you watch him, there's videos of him practicing, and he does that. You know, and again, yep. this is pe- people sneak in videos, too. He's not doing it for the camera. Like, he does that. And, he, you know, so he commits to, like, he's sitting back there with his darn eyes closed, and trying to visualize every single shot in practice. So, like, the player that thinks that's tedious, well, you know, that's what it takes to be good sometimes. And That's the world number one effort. That's the world number one effort right there. And he made it. Right. And, I mean, if it's easy to get good, like, everybody would do it is, is my point. So we got to do the things that others aren't willing to do. Or you got to be do, do the things it takes to get better if you want to get better, which I know our listeners do because they're listening to the show. They want to get better. 
Well, all right, John. So we'll wrap it up there. But really informative and powerful episode on, you know, what a shot process really is and why it's so valuable. And I know that there's some things in there that the listeners, you, the listener, um, probably have not been aware of and some things that are super important for you to start implementing. So, you know, our challenge for you is always to go out there, define your process down to the to the bare bones, like every single thing and be able to write it down, be able to explain it and then get a timer on there like John was talking about. And you're going to see just a whole nother level of play because of the consistency of your thoughts and your actions and how you hit shots, especially when you practice like that. And in upcoming episodes, we're going to get into some real structure of practice and how to implement that as well. So stay tuned for further episodes. Again, thank you for joining us on the Go Low Show. Follow us on Instagram at the Go Low Show. Uh, Facebook at The Go Low Show. Our website is www.thegolowshow.com where you can submit things that you want to hear about if there's things you struggle with as well. So we'll see you in upcoming episodes.